Okay, if you have Bibles with you, please open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Last week I finished up uh, a series of nine messages on the topic of love. Honestly, I think it was some of the most important messages, most of the, some of the most important sermons I've preached uh, since I've been here. If you've missed any of them, they're, they're all been recorded. They're all on the church website. I encourage you to take some time and check them out. Um, next week, I'm going to begin a new series of messages, either next week or the week after. I'm not sure if I'm going to need one week or two weeks for today's message. I'm going to start a new uh, series on the topic of grace. And um, it'll be the first time I've, I've tackled that topic. But uh, even as I've done some preliminary research, I can tell you, I feel like there's life on this. I think it's the, it's the right time for it. Today, I'm going to, I want to speak uh, what I call a one-of, or it might turn into a two-of, <laughs> a one-of message. Occasionally, I like to depart from, from a series, be it a topical series or a textual series, and, um, and preach a standalone one-of message, one message. Today is, is one of those days. I want to share with you what I believe God is saying for us uh, for the new year, uh, for 2015 and, and following. And so, um, so please follow along as I, uh, as I read verses 1 through 8 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Scripture says that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search, and a time to give up. A time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. So Lord, I thank you for your word, and thank you for the truth that's in your word, for the power that is resident within your word. I pray, Lord, this morning that your word would have its full impact on it, that the weightiness of your word by the power of your spirit would have its full effect on us and that it would change us and make us even more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, for birth and death, for planting and harvest, to kill and to heal, to tear down, to build up, to cry and laugh and mourn. And celebrate, a time to scatter, a time to gather, a time to embrace, a time to release, a time to search, a time to stop searching, to keep and throw away, to tear and mend, a time for silence, a time for speaking, to love, hate, a time for war and peace. Times and seasons are God's idea. They're not an invention of man. 
They're the inspiration of God. They were initiated by God. Genesis chapter 1 makes it very, very clear. In verses 3 to 5 of chapter 1, God says, let there be light. And out of nothing, he creates everything. And then he separates light from darkness, and he calls the light day, and he calls the darkness night. And verse 5 ends with these words. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So it was God who established days. God separated light and dark, defines them. He calls it a day. In verses 6 to 8, God creates the sky. In verse 8, ends with these words. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. Verse 9 to 13, God creates the land, the seas, vegetation, and again concludes with similar words. He says, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. God sets the days. We get even more clarity and understanding in verses 14 to 19 concerning the fourth day. Let me read those verses to you. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Verse 15. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 19, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So signs to mark sacred or special times and days and years. Time was God's idea from the beginning. We have a timeless God. He lives outside of time. But for our sake, from the very beginning of creation, he established that there would be rhythm, that there would be an order, that, that we could mark it, that we could um, measure it. And he calls it time. He calls it days. Before he created us, he created the seasons. He created them for sacred purposes. Then on the fifth day, he created the animals. On the sixth day, he created us in his image, male and female. And on the seventh day, God rested. So there is indeed, Scripture tells us clearly, a time and a season for every activity under heaven. So there are heavenly purposes for times and seasons. Genesis makes it clear that there are signs to mark sacred times, days, or years. Now we have, we have special significance to the time and seasons in our lives, don't we? Right? We mark our birthdays. Everybody here probably knows when your birthday is. And many of us, you know, maybe we still celebrate them. Maybe we like to forget about them. The higher the number goes, right? <laughs> we remember our birthdays. We remember our wedding day. We remember the, the birth of our children special times and seasons in our lives. Every year we remember Thanksgiving, we remember Christmas, and just a few days ago we celebrated uh, the new year. We have special times and seasons in our lives, and this is a God thing. Now, along with all of those special times, I have a few others that are significant to me. They hold spiritual significance for me. The day I was saved, I remember July 1st, I was saved in... 
1976, that's July 1st, I gave my life to Christ in the school basement of a Catholic elementary school in Marine Park, Brooklyn. They gave me an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I said yes. And they prayed for me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was one of the profound turning points in my life. So I always remember July 1st. And I have other dates where I've had significant encounters with God. February 11th is one, and November 11th is another. Those are spiritual times and seasons that I've marked out that are significant for me. So it's common to our culture, to most cultures, to mark special times and seasons. I think it's good, I think it's wise for us as a people to pay careful attention to those special times. So for Charlottetown Vineyard, this is a special time, this is a special season. 2015 marks significant change in the history of our church. We start this new year with a new name. That's significant. That's not a small thing. When a woman gets married and she takes her husband's name, that there's significance to that change. I think a name change is significant. Is significant. I think it would be wise for us to, to be aware and to pay attention. Um, we're starting the year, our church, uh, along with um, eight to ten other churches on Prince Edward Island, is starting the year with 40 days of prayer and fasting. That's no small thing. That's significant. I don't think it's a mistake that these two things are, have... Uh, have happened together, these confluence of events. So across the island, we have people crying out. Our theme for the fast is the presence of God. We have people crying out for his presence. I'm pretty excited to see what the Lord's going to do with all that. So there's significance to a person's name. There's a great little book called The Name Book by a woman named Dorothy Astoria, and in the introduction to her book, this is what she says. I just want to read a couple of short paragraphs to you. This is what she writes. She says, names have been in existence as long as humanity. God created a timeless tradition when he gave Adam the first name, meaning formed of the earth. In the same manner, humans have been handing out names since the beginning of recorded time. But why names? Why not labels or symbols or codes? Part of the answer is found in Genesis 1, verse 27, where it says, So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. If we were merely another species, she writes, a nearly another species of God's creation, we would all have one name, such as lion or sparrow or mole. But because we are special and unparalleled, in creation, individuals, we've each been given a name. Names are an integral part of who we are. While we are all intrinsically unique, names bestow upon us a tangible way to distinguish one another. God reveals this individuality in Isaiah 43, verse 1. He says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. The names we now bear have meaning to the Lord. Not only this, but in Revelation 2.17, he says, he tells his children that he will give us a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. 
This is from page seven in her wonderful little book, book called The Dane Book, Dorothy Astoria. Names are significant. I, I agree with her. I think she makes a really good point. Why weren't we just labeled? Why, why not just a symbol? How come we aren't just all called men or all just called women or just called humans? You know, we each have a name. I've noticed, you know, we've been on the island a little over two years now, names are significant on the island. I watch some of you guys when you meet each other for the first time and I get to be part of it. And there's the question, is, you know, they want to know what your last name is. So which McDonald or Gallant or Arsenal clan do you belong to? Because there are all different ones across the island. And so once they figure out what your, what your last name is, well, the next thing is, well, which part of the island are you from, right? Because there are McDonald's here and there, there are Gallants here and here, Arsenal's, and other names that are common to the island. We want to know that because when we know that information, I should say when you know that information, I'm still on a big learning curve, but when you know that information, it gives you other detail. You know the family that they're from. You know some of the history of that family. Names are significant. They're really significant on the island. Names are important. When we name our children, most of us, we, we do it with, with great care. It's, it's quite intentional. It's purposeful when we choose the names. From our, for our children. Maybe it's a, a family name or a name that has some significance in, in the history of our family. Maybe it's the name of a relative or holds some other significance. I know that when we named our children, Nadine and I took great care. We, we talked about it extensively. When our daughter was born, I, I wanted to call her Nadine. Nadine said that she had no need to repeat herself and did not want to call our daughter Nadine. And so we did. We did search on the meaning of names and we we settled on the name Lisa and for, for this reason. The name Lisa means consecrated unto God. And that, that resonated with our heart. That's why we called her Lisa. Because for us, from the very beginning, from as soon as we knew that Nadine was pregnant, we wanted this child of ours to be consecrated unto God. Now, when my son was born, I did feel the need to repeat myself, and we did give him my name. He's the fourth in the line. His Father's name is Thomas, and his grandfather's name is Thomas, and his great-grandfather's name is Thomas. And if I have a grandson someday from him, there's a pretty good chance he'll name him Thomas as well. And we named him Thomas Michael. It, Thomas is my name and my father's name. That was part of it. Michael was Nadine's father's middle name. But we also love the meanings of the name. Thomas means twin, or it can mean double. Michael means one who is like God. And I wanted a son who was going to be doubly like God. And so it was... It was with purpose and with intention that we chose the meaning, the, the names that we, we gave our children because of their meaning. So I think there's a significance to a name change at a significant time. Why did we do this? Why did we change the name of the church? Well, it's for two reasons. One was to distinguish ourselves, and the other was to identify ourselves. There are other churches in town that are using both the community church moniker as well as the Charlottetown moniker. If you did a Google search on Charlottetown Community Church, three or four different churches pop, us, pop up, and you may or may not find us. And after we discussed that for a while, we thought, you know, it might be good if we can distinguish ourselves from the other churches on the island. Makes it easier for people to find you, right? Um, I don't have so much trouble with my name. There aren't too many Tom Zawackis in the world. You go to Google, type in Tom Zawacki, you get me, you get my son, 
you get some guy who owns a company called Lemonade, and he seems pretty popular, and there's some politician in Kentucky with our name. After that, it gets pretty thin, you know. But Charlottetown Community Church, you get a lot of different stuff that comes up, and we may not be on the first page of that search. We thought it would be good to distinguish ourselves. We're the only vineyard church on Prince Edward Island. That's a pretty good way to distinguish yourself. And the elders and, I, and myself, we agreed that this was a good thing to do. But more importantly than to distinguish ourselves, we felt it was important to identify ourselves. We are a vineyard church. We have been for seven of the 12 years that the church has been in existence. And our connection with Vineyard Canada, especially with its Atlantic region, has strengthened significantly uh, over the past couple of years. And so as a church, especially our leadership, um, we feel like we align very well with Vineyard Canada's values and, and their expression of faith. And so we, we're glad, we're happy, we're honored, we're proud to take on the name Vineyard. It's, it is, if you were, it's our family name. And so from this day forward, we'll, we're known as the Shelltown Vineyard. And I think it, the name change is significant at the, at the significant time. The name change was initiated by men. The elders, we've talked about this, I don't know, six, maybe eight months when the idea first came up. We, we talked about this for quite a while. And it was, sometimes it was on the top of our list and sometimes it was on the bottom of our list. But there were a confluence of events that came together at just the right place, at just the right time for our benefit that made it clear that this was a good time to do it. And part of what motivated doing it now was... Um, was the new website. So you have to know logistically, if you're going to change the name of an organization and you already have a web presence, well, then obviously you need a new web address, right? You can't have charlottetowncommunitychurch.com that goes to Charlottetown Vineyard. It just is reasonable. It makes sense that you have a new web address called charlottetownvineyard.com. Well, um, and we could have done that at any time to purchase a new, the new name, the new web address. It's not that big a deal. But I was given a gift of a, of a new web page from a, a company I use that hosts my own site, thomaswacky.com. And um, usually it costs $1,000 for that template. And they were doing a promotional at the end of the year at Christmas. They were giving away the template for free. I was like, wow, this is a pretty cool thing. Now, we had a, we had a good church website. There was nothing really wrong with it. But it was kind of due for an upgrade. It, it, it was due for an update. And so they gave me this free $1,000 template and, and asked that we give it to a nonprofit organization. I could have I used it myself. I could have given it to anybody I wanted. But when they gave it, they said, could you give this to a nonprofit? I'm thinking, I know exactly the nonprofit that could use a new web page. And so um, it just seemed like things came together. It's the beginning of a new year. It just seemed like the right time uh, to do this. And so we made the change. It's got a fresh new look, and um, it, uh, it updates us in many different ways. We have much better quality audio on there. We can actually post video now if we want to. A lot, a lot of other bells and whistles. I think it just looks great. And so um, it was a timely gift uh, from the Lord. So names are significant. I think our name being Charlottetown Vineyard, I think it's significant. I think the times and the seasons are significant. It's the new year. We have a fresh new start with a new name and a new year. 
I think that's significant. I don't think it's a mistake. I think God's on it. So what do I see for Charlottetown Vineyard for 2015? I just want to share a couple of things. The, the first thing I see is this, and it's already started, is I see change. I see change for us for 2015. Our name has already changed. <laughs> that's, that's pretty significant, but I don't think that's going to be the only change. Now, as a prophetic person, it's pretty easy to prophesy change because things always do. But, <laughs> but I do see change. Um, and this is the way I see the change. Metaphorically, it's like we've been in the hallway, and uh, we've, we've walked through one door, but we hadn't quite gone through the next door yet. Sometimes you walk out of one room, and there's a long hallway, and at the end of the hallway is another door. Well, that's the kind of picture I have in my mind's eye for where Charlottetown Community Church has been at and where Charlottetown Vineyard is. I feel like we've, we've let go of the door behind us, which is Charlottetown Community Church, and that, as it were, our, we've walked through this hallway and our hand is on the doorknob to Charlottetown Vineyard. I think new doors are going to open and that we're about to enter into something new. I think the hallway in this picture represents change or transition. We've been in transition for a couple of years. That's what usually happens when you get a new pastor. We've gone through time of transition. I feel like that's coming to an end and we're about to step into a freshness, a newness of who we are as a church. So about two and a half years ago, the church walked through a door on one end of a metaphoric hallway, and in 2015, we're walking through another door on the other end. The hallway represents transition. The old door was Charlottetown Community Church. The name on the new door is Charlottetown Vineyard. I have a scripture verse to go with this sense of change. And it's a verse that's familiar to all of you, I'm sure. It's Isaiah 43:19. It says, forget the former things. Oh, people, please, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. This is God speaking. Verse 19, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? A powerful verse of scripture. Right? That one should be highlighted. That one should be underlined. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Years ago, I did some research on that verse. In verse 19, I found a translation in a book, a translation of the Bible called the Rotherham Bible. Some, sometimes it's referred to as the Emphasized Bible. And so this J.B. Rotherham rewrote scripture with the, with the translation from this perspective. Where is the, where's the weightiest emphasis? And this is how he translates verse 19. I love this. It says, behold me, exclamation point, doing a new thing. Behold me, exclamation point, end of sentence, doing a new thing. That's our posture when God's doing a new thing. We're to behold him. We're to focus on him. We're to fix our eyes on him. We're to look at him. He's doing a new thing. You know where most of us as Christians get messed up when God's doing a new thing? We get so excited with the new thing. We get so focused on the new thing. We get our eyes off of him, and then suddenly the new thing begins to dissolve, and we wonder why. It's all about him. That's why I love that the theme for this 40 days is the presence of God. Behold him. Let that be your, your <laughs> divine obsession in 2015. Behold him, and let him do the new thing. 
among us. I love that translation. It, it communicates our best posture for times and seasons of change, beholding him as he does new things in our midst. Now earlier, a few months ago, back on May 31st, it was a Saturday morning, I woke up, it was about five-something in the morning, and I heard the Lord speak, verse 19, to me. I, I remember, it's kind of like that twilight time. You know, you're not fully awake, you're not fully asleep, you're kind of in that in-between place. Well, I woke up, and I, can't, I won't say it was an audible voice of God in the room, but I heard him in my heart, and it was loud, and it was clear, and this is exactly what he said to me. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? This is back on May 31st. And a few thoughts ran through my head immediately. My first thought was, wow, that was Lord. <laughs> the second thought was that this is significant, and I knew it was from Isaiah 43. And my third thought was, no, Lord, I don't perceive it. <laughs> that was honestly how I felt. Do you not perceive it? I'm thinking, nope, I'm not perceiving it. Well, I'm wondering, I'm thinking maybe that the new thing he was referring to back then is what we're walking into now. It, it could be. God's doing something new. And in the newness that he's doing, it's going to require of us a letting go of the past. We can't hold on to the doorknob of the former door and still be able to walk through the new door on the other end of the hallway. We just can't do it. You've got to let go of the old door to be able to walk through the new door. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Right? You can't, you can't do both. At some point, you've got to choose. You can't do both at the same time. So for 2015, change for some of you is going to come in this form. It's going to come in the form of choice. And do I want to stay with the old door, or do I want to walk through the new door? The choice is yours. You'll have to choose to go one way or the other. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we don't really like change. I found an entertaining comic. Anybody remember Calvin and Hobbes? Love Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes, right? Some people don't like change. Maybe you can relate to Calvin in this cartoon. Let's see here. So Calvin and Hobbes, they're, they're talking about their New Year's resolution. So somebody put this on Facebook. I thought, oh, this is timely. We'll throw this in the sermon. So Hobbes says to Calvin, are you making any resolutions for the new year? Calvin says, nope. I want everything to say, stay the same as it was this year. Everything? Hobbes says, right. This year was lousy, but at least it was familiar. <laughs> I hate change. It's too disruptive. When things are different, you have to think about the change and deal with it. I like things to stay the same. So I can take everything for granted. Besides, things keep changing for the worse. The longer I live, the more complicated everything gets. I say let's stop here before life gets any harder. From now on, no more change. And Hobbes just kind of looks at him like, hmm. And after they wait a little while, nothing's happening. Calvin decides, I'm bored. Let's do something different. <laughs> and Hobbes says, same, some, things, some things don't change. You know, change is inevitable. And even though we may not like it, and even though we may prefer things to stay the same, things are going to change. And it really will go well for you. It'll be better for us as a group. It'll be better for you as an individual. If you can let go of the old 
and just embrace the change. So I see change for us in 2015. Another thing I see is something that I've seen since I got here, and that's going to be an emphasis on trust. Along with change comes trust. I think God has us in this, in, on the journey that we're on, the spiritual journey that we're on as a community for this purpose. And we'll learn to trust him. Now, it's easy to trust when everything's under our control, right? It's not very risky. But trust is challenged when things are less and less under our control. Change rattles most of us because our sense of control is threatened. I think 2015 for Shawtown Vineyard is going to be a year of trusting God amid change. Hebrews 10.9, the second part of the verse from the New American Standard Bible, offers comfort. This is what it says. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. He takes away to establish. God doesn't take away just to take away. He takes away to establish something new. Now, the context of that verse is talking about covenants. Pretty significant change from an old covenant to a new covenant, from a lesser covenant to a greater covenant. That was a, that was a profoundly significant spiritual change for the Hebrews. God takes away to establish. I think it's a spiritual principle. I think it's how he operates. Now, we serve a God who never changes. Hebrews 13.8 tells us clearly, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. He never changes. But he is alive, and he is active. And when we experience the effects of his life and his activity all around us, from our perspective, that feels like, and in fact is, change. He's the same. We just get to see different parts of him. And it brings change in our lives. Recently, I was reminded of another time that God spoke to me in the twilight of the morning. I shared it with you briefly at the end of last week's message, and I really felt like it was something worthwhile repeating today. This was on May 26th back on, in 2006. Again, in that twilight of the morning, that, that half-awake, half-asleep place, God spoke to me. And this is what he said. He said, the winds of change were coming to hold lightly to people, to possessions, and to positions. Your hands must be free to catch what's coming on the wind. Whew. That was powerful. It really resonated in a deep place with me. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that those same winds of change are about to blow again. And I think that these 40 days of prayer and fasting that we're doing island-wide, I think it's about to stir the wind. Now, we will make it to the other side of this transition and enter more easily through the new door if we hold loosely to people, possessions, and positions. This way our hands will be free to catch what the Spirit is sending on the wind. Now, I understand that for some this might be unsettling, but please remember this. God's indeed good, and he absolutely loves you. You can trust him with the people and the possessions and the positions. You can trust him. You can trust him with the wind and whatever it carries because he's good and because he's for you and because he loves you. 
So the other day I was, I was going through some pictures I had on my tablet, and I, I saw this amazing picture, and I just thought it went so well with the hold loosely word. I think it's a prophetic picture for us at this time. I just want to show it to you. So, I love this picture. I'm not sure if you can tell it the way it's, it's here, but there's a rainbow. Can you see the subtle rainbow? And so I wrote there, hold loosely the people, possessions, and positions that your hands might be free to catch what's coming on the wind. I love this little kid, right? This, he looks as free and as carefree as could be, right? His hands are open wide. His hands are free to catch what's coming on the wind. I love that there's a rainbow that represents the promises of God in the distance, that there are different paths. There's five different paths that could be chosen there. The choice is his. That kid, we don't even know which path he's going to run down. He could choose any path he wants to. And, I, and it looks like, even though there's a storm in the distance, it looks like the storm is breaking and coming to an end. I think this is a picture for us. I want to be that kid. That'd be nice to have a little hair again. I want to be that kid. I want my hands open wide. I want my eyes fixed on the, the promise of God, the rainbow that's ahead of us. Trusting him, that knowing that whatever he does, he does it because he's good, because he loves us. I want to be that carefree. I'm excited to know that there are different paths that I could choose. I love the prophetic, the powerful prophetic imagery there. So I want to encourage you, if you're a person who doesn't like change, please remember this, that God doesn't take away just to take away. He takes away to establish. If you feel like he's taking things from you in this season, it's not because he's angry with you, it's not because he's punishing you. He's just clearing the way for something new. right? Don't we plow the ground before we plant the seed so something new will grow? He takes away to establish it's the way God works. Scripture tells us that he is the giver of all good things. James 1.7 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He never changes, but he's the giver of good things. When he takes away, it's for the purpose of establishing. He takes away the old to establish the new. He takes people, possessions, and positions to help us and others fulfill our purpose and our destinies. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. He knows what he's doing. So, what's our Monday morning takeaway? There's a time and a season for everything. And it's, it's a good thing to be in the right timing. It's a good thing to be in the right season. Somebody walking outside today in cutoffs and flip-flops, they're not prepared for the season. That's a person who doesn't like change pretty seriously. Well, come July and August around here, if they're wearing a parker and heavy boots, they're out of season as well. It's good for us. It's good for us to shed what we need to shed and embrace what we need to embrace for the right time and the right season. Genesis makes it clear that times and seasons were God's idea. We start the new year with a new website, a whole bunch of new activities, and 40 days of prayer and fasting. Change is absolutely at hand. We're in the midst of it. Whether we like change or not, it's, it's really out of our control. So my encouragement to you is to do what the Word of God says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. 
Have your eyes wide open to see that God is indeed doing a new thing and it's springing up all around you. Perceive it. Behold him. Embrace the new things. To paraphrase Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Let your eyes be fixed on him. John Paul Jackson used to say it this way, what you focus on, you make room for. What you fear, you empower. I say, let's, let our focus be on our God who's rich in mercy and loves us with a great and lavish love. Let, let that be our total focus. And, and as things evolve, as, as things develop, as things change in our midst, as God takes away to establish, my encouragement to you is to trust him. Trust him. He's worthy of our trust. He's a good God, and he loves us. God's in the process of establishing something new at the Charlottetown Vineyard. Hold loosely to people, possessions, and positions that your hands might be free to catch what's coming on the wind. So one last thing, and then we'll close in prayer. Um, we had our first uh, corporate gathering for the 40 days of prayer and fasting last night at um, Summerside Community Church. Boy, you can really feel the presence of God there. Worship was amazing, and Andrew's very kind to me. He gives me liberty to, to minister if, if I feel like the Lord's given me something. And at one point in the middle of the service, I went up to him. I said, I really feel like God's showing me something. And this is what the Lord showed me, and I felt like I was supposed to share it with you today. I think this is part of what God's doing in the 40 days. When we've asked for his presence, we're inviting the Father to come into our house. It's like, it's like we've invited him over for dinner or to celebrate the holidays. Dad, would you come and visit? And, and this is my sense that he's delighted to come. And not only does he come, he comes bearing gifts. And these are the gifts that he has for us. He comes with gifts to redeem, to restore, and to reconcile. I think this is what God's doing. At least this is what he showed me last night. It's at least part of what the 40 days is about is that dad's coming to the house because we've invited him. And he's coming to redeem, he's coming to restore, and he's coming to recycle, uh, reconcile. He's coming to redeem. What does that mean? He's going to take things, what the enemy meant for evil, and he's going to turn around and use it for good. He's going to take even some of the darkest areas of our life, he's going to touch it, and he's going he's to make it holy. That's what, that's what to redeem something is. Something can be incredibly unholy. It gets, touched, it gets touched by God, and it becomes holy by His holiness. I think we're going to see redemption. I think we're going to see areas of our lives, even some of the darkest places of our lives. He's going to touch it. And what the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn around and use it for good. This is what's happening when we invite Him into our house. The other thing is He's going to restore. I had a strong sense last night that those of us who've been robbed in 2011, 2012, 2013 and 14, those of us who have experienced significant loss, especially when it was unjust, that those things are going to be restored to us in 2015. We've invited Dad into the house, and with it, he's going to bring restoration. He's going to restore the things that have been stolen. There's going to be a justice of God displayed upon our lives this year because he's come to his house, he's come to our house, and this is what he brings with him, redemption and restoration. And the other thing was this. I think we're going to see reconciliation in 2015. It's his nature. 
It's what he does. He brings people together. I think we're going to see the hearts of the children turn to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers turn to the children. I think we're going to see relationships that have been broken for a long time be suddenly and unexpectedly reconciled, where, especially, where, especially where friendships have been broken. I think God's going to bring reconciliation. Where families have been broken, God's going to be recon- bring reconciliation. I think where churches have been divided, that God's sovereignly going to bring reconciliation. We've invited Dad into the house, and he's delighted to accept our invitation. And he doesn't walk in empty-handed. My sense is that he comes with his arms full. <laughs> my grandmother used to tell this story about my great-grandfather. We used to, they would call him Nunun. He was Italian. And so he had seven children. And used, my grandmother was one of the poorest of his seven children. And he said to her, he says, how come my rich children, they come and they open the door with their hands, but my poor children have to open the door with their feet, meaning that the poorer children would come and they would have stuff in their arms to carry. They would bring food or gifts or whatever. The father's coming to our house and he's going to have to open the door with his feet because his arms are filled with stuff for us. And I think this is at least the first glimpse of what I'm getting of what he's giving. He's coming to redeem He's coming to restore, and he's coming to reconcile. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we love you. And Lord, more than anything else, we want you. We invite you. Come to our house. We invite you, Lord. Come to our land. We want you. More than your hand, we want your face. More than your power, we want your presence. We want you, oh God. Lord, we ask you to come and bring whatever you want to bring. You've shown me that you come to redeem and restore and reconcile. Do it, oh God. Lord, we choose, at least for this moment right now, where we have faith, we choose, we want what you're doing. We want you, oh God. We forget the former things. We see that you're doing a new thing. We perceive it, and Lord, we say we want it. If it's you, we want it. Lord, I pray that you would make of us men and women, sons and daughters of yours who flow with your spirit and not resist you. Those who go where you want to go and not stand as a hindrance, as an obstacle, as a barrier to what you're actually doing. So to that end, oh God, would you give us eyes that see and give us ears that hear and give us hearts that are, that are tender and sensitive to even the most subtle move of your spirit, oh God. Line us up with you. Like your word says, Lord, I pray that we would be people who keep in step with the Spirit. That our pace would be at your pace. That our rhythm would be at, at your rhythm, oh God. Make it so. And Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.